Hey there, Jakub. Hey, Patrick. You know, I still remember the day when we started the podcast and we were joking, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if we got Will van der Austin on the show? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. This is the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. Will van der Aust, Godfather, object-centered process mining, the future, and much more. Let's get into it. I was thinking really hard about how to introduce today's guest. After all, if it wasn't for him, there would have been no podcast mining or business. Who knows what Patrick and myself would have been doing in the first place. Um, anyway, I figured the best way to start would be to cite Wikipedia. Um, the term process mining was first coined in a research proposal written by the Dutch computer scientist, also known as Godfather of Process Mining. Thus began a new field in research that emerged under the umbrella of techniques related to data science and process science at the Eindhoven University in 1999. The name of the paper was Process Design by Discovery, Harvesting Workflow Knowledge from Ad Hoc Executions, and it was written by one and only Will van der Aalst. Uh, Will, I can't even express how excited we are to have you on our podcast. Thank you very much for coming and accepting our invitation. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm <laughs> curious for your questions. Yeah, we are, you know, our questions are always on, on top uh, and on, on point. Uh, I guess the first <laughs> one that's really uh, hanging here in the air is uh, how does it feel now to be, uh, to be uh, understood and named the, the godfather of process mining? Yeah, it's, it's a funny story. Yeah? So, so many people ask me where did the name originate, etc. And I know <laughs> it, has been, uh, it has been used for over 10 years. It's Completely unclear who started it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but more and more people start to adopt it. Uh, and of course, this is a great honor to be called like that. I hope people don't associate me to the, to the process mining mafia, but, but more <laughs> as the, the person who has been trying to help many people that uh, want to work on the topic of process mining and get started to, uh, like I feel a bit like a father of the people that were, uh, let's say, working uh, very early in the field. Um, so, so, so I'm happy with the term, although it sounds a bit uh, strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, may I ask what uh, was the original paper that you came up with really about? Like, how did you even came up with this idea on process mining in the first place? Yeah, if you look at my, my career, uh, so, so many people know me now uh, from, the, from the work on process mining. But actually in the 90s, I, I wrote one of the first, probably the first textbook on, on workflow management systems. So I was a, a big believer in workflow management technology. I also worked with people like Skip Ellis uh, that were already working on these uh, things in the, in the 1970s. And I believe that workflow management was going to be used by any company in the world. Right? That mm -hmm. it would be as common as we see database systems that any organization would be using that. And for me, it was completely logical. Mm -hmm. So in the mid-90s, let's say, almost all of the things that I was doing were focused on uh, this idea of uh, automatically generating information systems based on process models, often uh, expressed in terms of Petri nets at the time, BPMN and etc. Mm -hmm. did not mm -hmm. exist, uh, uh, and and I really believe that that was going to uh, to be used in any organization. A few years later, I, I realized that I was wrong. 
right? I was <laughs> at that point in time also working as a part-time consultant for a company called Bacchanist. It is now uh, part of Deloitte. Uh-huh. And uh, inside Bacchanist, there was a workflow uh, group that was uh, guiding larger organizations to select workflow management technology and to also implement it. Mm-hmm. And what for me was very surprising was that, uh, let's say, most of the uh, companies that decided that they wanted to buy workflow management technology, in the end, bought it, but never used it. <laughs> so, so, so they bought the software, but then they had incredible difficulties. And the difficulty was that it's very easy to make a PowerPoint that people understand and have an idea what the process is about. But it's incredibly difficult to create an information system mm-hmm. that supports uh, the process as a whole. As a, so, so one often uses the 80-20 rule. Uh, if you do analysis, 80% may be enough. Uh, but if you implement a system, a system that functions for 80% uh, yeah. is not a system. Right? Just imagine <laughs> your car and assume that 80% of the fun- functionality is there and 20% is missing. Uh, you will not drive that car. You will consider it to be way too, too dangerous. And that happened. So I realized in the in the late 90s that uh, uh, most of the processes were actually much more difficult than what people were thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, I was a bit bored, uh, let's say, writing papers that were very much model-driven because I felt that uh, they were too idealistic and did not capture the real uh, problems. So that's why it was probably around uh, 97, 98, that I started to look at the following uh, interesting academic problem. It it was not about business at all. It It was the question, okay, if you have a Petri net, which describes a process, you can simulate it. Simulation engines we had been building already in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So given a process model, you can simulate it, so you can generate behavior. But can we now do the reverse? Just observe what is happening and automatically uh, generate the model. Today, that uh, sounds completely normal. But at that point in time, it was a very strange idea. Mm-hmm. And I saw immediately that from a theoretical point of view, this is a great topic. Right? It, 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 is, it has so many challenges in it. Uh, it was original. Uh, so I jumped onto the topic, and you referred earlier to, let's say, this research proposal. It was research that I started in the late 90s together with Tom Weiters. And uh-huh. that, that was the first project. But basically, after a couple of years, basically anything that I did was related to process mining. And the trigger for me was, uh, A, workflow technology doesn't work if it doesn't really capture the real process. Mm-hmm. B, uh, from a scientific point of view, it is incredibly uh, interesting. Uh, The problem, okay, you look at example behavior and you automatically try to generate a process model. And I think that's when people these days look at the commercial uh, process mining tool, that is what they are fascinated by. So honestly, how do you feel? How proud are you you looking back from the early 90s, from that original concept that you had to now the year being 2022 and having such a big splash in the in the enterprise with Salonis. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen, but the Salonis had an ad during the Olympics. I mean, <laughs> how does that feel? Uh, no, no, so, 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 so of course, it's, it, it's it, I like, I feel that I'm very lucky 
that I, let's say, focused on that uh, problem. And I'm very grateful that there is now so much adoption. But the thing that I should also mention is that it has been very different for a very long time, right? When I started to work on this, uh, people thought that I was nuts. Uh, I was <laughs> successful in Petri Dance. I was successful in workflow management technology. Uh, people were fascinated by process modeling. Uh, that was very hip in the late 90s to, to, to model processes. Mm -hmm. And people did not understand why I was doing that. What I should also mention, and I think uh, many people do not want to remember that, but as of, let's say, the year 2000, I've been uh, in contact with companies like uh, IDS Share, which is now Software AG. Uh -huh. I gave many presentations inside IBM. I gave present several presentations inside uh, SAP. I was uh, at HP. I was at Google. <laughs> I was at all of these companies. Oh, wow. I, I was traveling around the world saying to these organizations, look, this is something that's going to be super important. It's fascinating. Uh, and I think any organization, yeah, so if you think about SAP, if you think about uh, Software AG at the time, Idea Share, IBM, the thing that they want to do is that they want to support the efficient and correct execution of processes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why didn't they do that? And, and for me, that uh, so on the one hand, I'm proud uh, in the sense that, uh, like, despite all the people not buying it, I just continued working on it, and I'm very happy that today there are companies like uh, like, like Salonis that are super successful. Uh, nice. Also, please note that if you look at a company like Salonis, this also took a few years, right? There were uh, uh, yes. What many people also do not uh, remember anymore is that in the in the let's say in the mid 2000s, uh, several of my uh, students started uh, process mining companies. And there was a company called uh, Futura Process Intelligence. <laughs> Nobody knows that company today, but that company uh, was run by uh, by Peter van der Brand, who was mm -hmm. one of the persons working for me on Prom. And after drinking a couple of beers, I told him, uh, Peter, you have to start a company. Right? You, you want to start a company, start a company. And he, he started the company. And uh, in 2009, Futura Process Intelligence won the uh, Gartner Cool Vendor Award. Nice. I was giving uh, talks at the large Gartner BPM conferences. And I thought, okay, now it is clear for everybody this is what we need to do. Eh? It seemed completely <laughs> clear. All the people in the audience, they were fascinated by it. Uh, this company won the Cool Vendor Award. And then all the people returned home and did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our customers. <laughs> uh, so, 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 so Peter, uh, like, like the, the software was uh, in the end taken over by Lexmark and still being used at some places. Uh, uh, but, but it's clearly that it was in a way too early, although it had many mm -hmm. of the capabilities that you see today. I think if you look at a company like uh, Salonis, uh, also when Salonis started, it was not so easy. And so yeah. I, I very much remember giving a talk for Salonis in the Allianz Arena. And there are these business units, mm -hmm. and they had like a, like, a, like a conference, which was big for them. But there were like 10 people there, right? <laughs> that, that, that was not uh, logical at all. Uh, uh, but let's say over time, 
uh, let's say in the last five years, it has become very visible that this is a big uh, technology. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly everybody wants to have it and is willing to pay a lot of money for it. And they could <laughs> have had it for free, let's say 15 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, this is an uh, in, in incredible journey. And before we actually jump on our topic that we want to discuss a bit more in the depth, I, I have one last, let's say, a personal question. Uh, what was what was it that kept you going over all of this time and seeing so many uh, difficulties and, and bottlenecks and pushbacks also from organizations that the adoption really took that long? Um, what did you get? What gets you excited? And what gets you excited even today after so long in the in the field? Yeah, so, so I think that it is a great scientific problem, right? Uh, if you do model-based research, you, 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 you write a model. So, 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 so perhaps the best way to, to explain it, if I read papers uh, from myself of, let's say, uh, 25 years ago that talk about verification, and I would have to write a paper today, I would write a paper in exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't change anything. If I look at my process mining papers of 20 years ago, I would write them completely different. Mm-hmm. And this shows that this is a super interesting area, which is where many things are underexplored. And that kept me going that along the way, there were so many interesting problems that we saw. I was also always convinced that in the long run, uh, industry would adopt it. Yeah. Uh, because uh like I often use the term, let's say what I call process hygiene. And so many of the processes that organizations have, if you look closely at them, they have lots of problems. Mm-hmm. And doing process mining is as logical as washing your hands when you go to the toilet. You have to do it. You should not look for a business case. If you are responsible for a process, you should be uh, you should be eager to be proud of it and you should make sure that it runs well. And because of that, I always felt, well, in the long run, this is going to uh, to happen. Also, it is a relative, uh, let's say, cheap technology uh, mm-hmm. compared to many other things. Right, right. Yeah, again, interesting journey, uh, Will. And uh, I think both myself and Patrick are thankful that you took it that far because, well, again, then we can actually do this podcast and talk, uh, talk about <laughs> it uh, with you. Um, but what we are right now, uh, where we are with process mining, so we have uh, the processes, a lot of companies are adopting it, but obviously there are a lot of other hiccups or, or issues, problems that we are trying to solve. Uh, some of the problems are not really solvable with uh, the current implementations and with the way that the algorithms are working right now. And one of these, uh, let's say, focus that we are now looking at is something that's called object-centric process mining. And uh, well, I would probably ask you to explain what object-centric process mining is before we jump into more questions and conclusions about that. Yeah. So uh, many people, uh, like, like if you see an introduction to the topic of process mining, it is clear you need to have event data. And then you try to describe what is event data, and uh, you can give examples of Patients being treated in hospitals, suitcases going through airports, mm-hmm. uh, the handling of orders in SAP systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the concepts that you need to do basic process mining is that every event should refer to a case, have an activity label, and have a timestamp. And that's the minimal information. 
There are at this point in time over 40 commercial process mining tools. There are several open source. They all expect that. If you don't have events where for every event you have a case ID, a timestamp, and an activity name, you cannot do anything. Mm -hmm. So that's like the conceptual model of basic process mining is that. And it is fascinating that with these three fields, case ID, timestamp, and activity, you can do so many things. Yeah. You can automatically generate process models that describe what is going on. You can uh, automatically generate simulation models. You can, if you have a BPMN model or any other description mm -hmm. of the process, you can do conformance checking and you can see where are the, middle, the biggest deviations, where are the big, biggest bottlenecks. So it's great eh, that you, with this simple, uh, very, very basic model, eh, just case ID, activity name and timestamp, you can do all of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so people very quickly buy into this and they can understand it. And um, I do not believe, many people would uh, disagree with it, I do not believe at just looking at dashboards. Mm -hmm. When people do process mining and they look at the results, they have to understand the connection between the data and the results. It's the same as if you look at the spreadsheet And you just look at the numbers and you have no idea how they are computed. Uh, it is very dangerous. Huh? Like you, you can go yes. bankrupt if you do that. <laughs> the same thing is I feel that everybody using process mining should understand this. So this basic model has been very successful up to, the, to this point in time. But as applications become more ambitious, uh, it is clear that that, uh, that, that uh, model, this mental model that I just described, is also very limited. And object-centric uh, process mining takes away one of the constraints that is built in. Mm -hmm. And the, that is the constraint that an event should refer to a, to a case ID. And so that constraint is being dropped. And uh, the best way to explain it would be to, to think of examples. So uh, if you place an order via some web shop, let's say Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. uh, You select multiple items, and at some point in time, you push the button, I want to order this, right? And then you do payment information, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Now, just look at the, at the moment where you push the button, place order, right? And uh, that is clearly one event. And the, the user doesn't click 10 times. No, there's this one click, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I want to buy these items. And now the question is, what is the case ID? So now, uh, if you have this classical view, you, you have to make a choice, right? So you can say the case is the order. And that would be the, the most logical uh, thing. But the order is consisting of multiple items. So you could also say that it is the item, but there is not just one item. I could have ordered five products, and then there are five objects, as we call them, that represent an order. It could also be interested that we are interested not so much in individual orders, but we are interested in the customer journey. And the mm -hmm. customer that placed this order is later uh, phoning a call center complaining about stuff. And we want to relate that. So when the person was pushing this button, uh, it referred to one order, a bunch of items, but it also referred to the customer. Mm -hmm. And I could go on and on and on, right? Uh, uh, if it is a physical process, uh, it could be the location. 
right? It's it's taking place uh, in this uh, machine hall or something like that. Or uh, this machine is being used. And typically not one machine is being used. Multiple machines may be used. If you're in a hospital and there are people standing around your bed, uh, what is the case? Is it the doctor? Is it the patient? Is it the nurse? That shows that in reality, all the events that we witness in reality uh, do not refer to a single object, but to a bunch of objects. And that is the core idea of object-centric process mining, that you do no longer say an event refers to a single case, because that's a very one-dimensional view. You say a case can refer to any number of objects. And if you take that mental model, then you can suddenly do much, much more than you could do before. Now, why is it such a problem to have this one-dimensional view of, of a case? Like, why, why is it wrong to look at the... I'm just going to look at my order items, right? So, in principle, that is okay. But mm -hmm. you have to... like uh, So, sometimes I, I you, you could say it's 1D or 2D. But you are adding and you're basically removing a dimension if you're focusing on a single object, right? And there are... Uh, certain things that you cannot see, and you're also uh, often presenting diagnostics that are very misleading. Yeah, so if I go back to my, okay, I'm on the Amazon website and I have this event, I push the button, I want to order these five items. Mm -hmm. If I take uh, the order perspective, it is quite natural to think of that as one event, right? If I take the item perspective, and I would have the classical view, so we would say, okay, uh, there is push button, and push button is related to items, then uh, I need to, to replicate that event. Because if, if I have the requirement, every event should refer to one object, I could say, okay, I forget about the four other items, which is, of course, wrong. Uh, so the only way to incorporate that is that I, I make basically five copies of the same event and uh, all of them are called push button mm -hmm. and they all refer to one of the items that I've ordered. So now you could argue, okay, that is just fine. And, and in a way you could argue that is just fine. But now uh, what we no longer see is the interaction between the item and the order. Mm -hmm. And there are many more objects. So we, so we don't see the relationships. That's one big problem. The other problem in this example is that uh, uh, if we compute KPIs and we look, for example, at uh, waiting time or we look mm -hmm. at uh, cost, uh, we look at deviations, right? And there was this one event place order uh, where we, we pushed the button, uh, but we have replicated that five times. It could be that our financial data is also replicated five times. The number of deviations is also replicated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it becomes highly confusing. That problem in the NS, so, so I've, in, in my papers, I've written about this phenomenon. Uh -huh. And that phenomenon is called, uh, let's say, uh, the, 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 there are actually two phenomena that are divergence and convergence. Uh, so there is the problem uh, that you replicate things that it becomes misleading. But it could also be in, in the example of pushing a button, I could say, okay, I should not choose item as a case identifier. I need to stick with the order. 
But mm-hmm. if I do that, there will be later events that refer to just a single item. And this event, the processes may com- be completely structured, but because I put all the events of the items in an order in one bucket, I automatically get a spaghetti model because <laughs> I'm not able to follow a single item. I realize this sounds very technical and without drawing it, it's very complicated. But the basic problem is that in reality, the things that ha- that happen refer to multiple objects. Mm-hmm. And if you if you are forced to pick a single object, one way or the other way, you get into trouble. You either lose you you lose causalities between events, uh, or you are replicating events, uh, leading to very misleading diagnostics. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the examples that, uh, when I was reading your paper, came up to my head is a problem in the purchase to pay and accounts payable process. And one side you have your orders, your purchase orders, and on the other side you have your accounting items. Um, so what the process mining or what uh, the Ewing implementations, what we usually do is we take a look at the process from two different perspectives, like from the perspective of the purchase order and from the perspective of uh, the invoices, the accounting. Um, how is this, uh, uh, let's say, a right approach to go about solving this problem, at least with the technology that we have now in hand? It- It depends. Like, of course, given the current technology in most of the systems, as some of the systems started to work on this. So, in the in the academic world, is it is a hot topic. Several people started to work on this. In commercial systems, it still has to arrive. But if you have a system that forces you to take this single case perspective, that is the only way that you 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 can go about it. Mm-hmm. There is no other way. The thing that you should realize is that uh, by doing that, uh, you're basically looking at a three-dimensional thing from two different angles. And you've made the world in a way flat, and there could be relationships between these different views that you no longer see. Mm-hmm. I think that that's one problem. The other big problem, and I think that is even worse, is that uh, in most projects, most of the effort is put into data extraction. Mm-hmm. In the solution that you uh, propose, you basically need to extract the data twice. Or at some point in time, there is a split where you go one way or the other way. And this is uh, uh, labor-intensive, but it also quickly leads to errors, right? Because in, mm-hmm. in one view, uh, this row in SAP has this interpretation, and then in this other view, exactly the same <laughs> row has a completely different interpretation. And that's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, how would you go about explaining this concept, this two-dimensional view of a three-dimensional object to a business user that's honestly a lot, a lot of the times already overwhelmed with what they're seeing in a traditional one-case notion? Yeah, so uh, if reality is complicated, you have to accept it. Huh? And, uh, that's perhaps <laughs> a very academic uh, viewpoint. I think uh, uh, one thing that for sure we need to do is we need to educate people better, yeah. right? Uh, it it cannot be the case that people, uh, that, that uh, somebody has been working, writing uh, like uh, 10 pages of uh, SQL scripts to extract a particular event log and then you look at the dashboard and you just see that <laughs> dashboard 
and you do not understand at all the connection between that and what what was happening in your system, I think is very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to a business user, I would say you have to understand this. And the concept is also not so difficult. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, What was uh, so this single, uh, let's say, case ID activity uh, name timestamp was also difficult 20 years ago, right? Uh, That was an abstract view on the world. And now it is clear that that abstract view has reached its limits and it needs to be extended. What is also very important, uh, so people have been drawing process models since the 70s, right? Uh, that has been a hobby for, I, I, I've been involved in, <laughs> in crazy projects where, where 50 people would be uh, doing process modeling. Um, and for me, it was un- completely unclear why they were doing that in that project. And uh, more important, why somebody would pay for that, right? But if you look at the models that people typically create, if they handcraft uh, these things by hand, they often have this problem. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you look at the uh, SAP reference model, I, I wrote uh, an article about that with Jan Mendling a very long time ago. I think uh, the title was uh, Sand im Getriebe, eh? like that, that, that <laughs> certain things were not correct in the SAP reference model uh, uh, that are related to this. And so for example, if you look at, uh, so if you ask a person, Okay, make a process model to describe the hiring process of new employees, right? They start drawing boxes and arrows, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But you can only describe that process correctly if you realize there are activities related to applicants and there are activities related to the position, right? And sometimes these things meet. But for example, if you... If you create a, a new position in a company, you do not know who's going to apply, right? Yeah. There are no such things. So I have an activity, create a vacancy or something like that, that is independent of the applicants. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, people are, app- are applying and perhaps people are applying for multiple jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And if you look at uh, the models that people made in the past, describing these types of processes, they are simply incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and nobody realizes it because everybody just sees, a, I don't know, a diagram with boxes and arrows. And as long as they recognize some of the, box, the names in the boxes, they are okay with it. But that's, of course, very, very bad. Right? That, mm-hmm. that, that if you want to describe these processes, it has to work. And now I link it back to what I said in the beginning, Exactly these things are the reason why workflow management technology failed. Because people were trying to abstract it away, and you cannot abstract it away because it's, it's a reality. And we are mm-hmm. now having this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> so let's c- consider the podcast to be one event. There are three objects involved, right? And there's a <laughs> podcast series, and that would be one object. And there is the three of us, right? So, so, uh, I just had lunch, right? I didn't have lunch <laughs> with you, right? Uh, I had it with my family. <laughs> and, and just if you look at reality, you will see that this is everywhere. And uh, yeah, sorry, business users, you really need to understand this uh, <laughs> to improve your processes. And yeah, no way out. 
Uh, I must say, I love how you insert the ideas of process mining into our daily lives. Uh, we have this uh, as an activity in our company that when we are bored, we're just thinking of these random process mining use cases for our daily activities. <laughs> We've had some good candidates that I'm probably not going to mention today. However, <laughs> going back into the object-centric process mining, I have maybe one more question. You touched upon this topic a little. Uh, apart from, let's say, minimizing the errors and seeing the process as a whole, what kind of problems would it help uh, solve for us? Yes, yeah, so, so I think the, the there are two sides to it, right? I think one side to it is that uh, we need to make the data extraction simpler and more direct, right? Uh, we need to uh, we need to have event logs that reflect reality. If we do something different, it is more complicated in the end, right? So. Uh, I strongly believe by embracing object-centric process mining, it uh, the data extraction problem becomes easier because you try to, to, what you see in systems like SAP, you try to convert it, what it was really in reality. Mm-hmm. And we forget about uh, funny table names and all the complications that are there. <laughs> we try to convert the data into the things that have actually happened. Mm-hmm. And this could be... Uh, order to cash, purchase to pay, but also production, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, The image that is in information systems often has no semantics. It is just data. And you you need to convert it into events that correspond to the business events that have really happened. So I think there it will, uh, in the end, it will save a lot of effort and a lot of money. That's one view. The other view, I think, is that uh, many... Uh, there are many questions that we cannot answer today because the models that we use are too limited. And so we are looking at uh, 2D uh, and we know there is 3D and uh, there are certain things that we cannot see. And that sounds very uh, abstract, but I strongly believe that we are reaching the limits of what we can do with these two two two-dimensional data. So we will be able... Uh, uh, to answer more advanced uh, uh, questions. And so one of my favorite examples would be, uh, so there are, in research, there are many people working on uh, predictive analytics, mm-hmm. and so uh, mm-hmm. making predictions on top of process models and, uh, and event data. Uh, often, they are taking this two-dimensional view, and they are missing uh, a lot of crucial information. right? Mm-hmm. And the the commercial vendors are simply adopting that because uh, they they <laughs> just include these simple capabilities and they can write on the product uh, that it supports artificial intelligence and machine learning, etc. Uh, but if you think about it, of course, it does, this does not work. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so if I uh, uh, I don't know drive by car from uh, from here in Aachen to Munich mm-hmm. or from Aachen to Eindhoven. Uh, uh, the brand of my car, the color of my car, my age are not the most important features. The most important features are the other people on the road. <laughs> and uh, anything that you would like to to uh, to talk about processes, you need to be very holistic. Yeah, so, so another example that I can give is that uh, we we had a project where in the end, uh, and there were huge delays. In, in, in uh, uh, like I cannot explain the details, but uh, yeah. there were huge delays in the handling of cases. 
And in the end, the bottleneck were people that were spending just half an hour per week on the process. Right? So, <laughs> uh, so then we can say, okay, we just focus on that half an hour and we ignore everything else. But it shows that it's not working because if we, if we just look at, at this, we think there cannot be a bottleneck. But it is a bottleneck because it's interacting with other processes. And this, this going from a single case ID to multiple case IDs uh, will also play an important role uh, if, we, uh, if we want to build a digital twin of an organization. Mm -hmm. yeah? like we can only create a realistic simulation model that behaves like reality if we make it 3D, right? If we make it 2D, it, it is not going to show the, the problems. It's also if we look at supply chains, uh, uh, like to understand delays on a, in a supply chain, it is not enough to just look at one node in the network. Mm -hmm. We need to look at all of them. And so I think uh, lifting this level to multiple objects, multiple processes, multiple organizations is key. So what do you think will need to happen in order for us to actually be able to view this object-centered process mining, right? So for a lot of us, we're used to the standard process graph. So what from a data visualization perspective will need to change to be able to view it from multiple case angles? Uh, so the best way to, to kind of visualize it uh, would be, uh, so, 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 so now I'm talking very operational. So the thing that one needs is one needs to have a... a one needs to have tables that describe events, right? That doesn't change, right? But these tables, they should be connected to any number of objects, right? So we, have, we need to have an event table. We need to have, uh, let's say, object tables, which describe how objects change uh, from one state to another state. And we need to have the connection, right? And it's, it's very... Like if you look at uh, many of today's systems, they typically have something like uh, an activity and a case table uh, where you have the, the requirement that every uh, event in the activity table mm -hmm. can refer to only one case. And that is what you should relax. And uh, uh, also if you look at uh, the typical case table, there are things that do not change, that are static. Right, uh, uh, I don't know, a customer has a birth date or something like, like that. <laughs> uh, but it's also important that we can include uh, 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 state changes of the object itself. Yeah, so uh, a person has a birth date that does not change, but I don't know, a patient in the hospital, one day has this blood pressure, the next day yeah. has this blood, blood pressure. So I think you can visualize this in terms of tables where you have event tables that refer to, let's say, these business events that can relate to multiple objects. And you have object tables that uh, show properties of uh, objects that are either uh, stable or changing. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's kind of the, the mental image that one uh, uh, should have. And it also shows that it's not so difficult to imagine that that is possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned that this is already a topic a lot in academia and that there are different research teams looking into the options on how to work with uh, OCPM. Uh, how far are the vendors and, uh, and generally the, the commercial usage of this approach? 
So on the academic side, there has been a lot of work. Uh, I think most of the uh, solutions that were provided were probably too complicated. I think what we are trying to do with the OCL standard, so object-centric event logs, mm -hmm. is to do something uh, that is kind of in between the classical simple view and, and these very complicated models. And I think that's uh, the way to move uh, forward. Uh, so if you look at commercial systems, uh, some of the systems start to embrace this idea. Uh, mm -hmm. So for example, in Salonis, there is the, the multi-event log. Mm -hmm. And in the multi-event log, it's slightly different. There you, uh, there you have, let's say, life cycles of individual objects that you can connect to each other. Uh, so, so that's a slightly different view, uh, but it aims in the same direction. Uh, what's also interesting to mention is that in Eindhoven, we had a, a, like a larger meeting on the standardization processes in the field of mm -hmm. process mining. Uh, there is, as you know, there is the XES standard, and that's an official yeah. IEEE standard for uh, storing event data. Uh, I think the standard has been very successful, but is now also reaching its limits. Mm -hmm. And there will be another, uh, so, so we are currently working on another initiative uh, to create a successor of uh, XES which will capture this ID that I explained in a very clean way in such a way that it is easy for uh, let's say both vendors and users to adopt mm -hmm. um so outside of uh, object centric process mining what are some of the other things that i that we as a consumers of process mining tools have generally uh have to look forward to in next to one to five years so so, so i think a new development will be the connection between uh Workflow automation, low-code workflow automation, and process mining. And this will create a layer on top of existing systems where we should not re repeat the mistake that we did before, that we can think that we can replace these complicated systems. Yeah? Like, if you install SAP completely, you may have 800,000 different tables. So it's very naive to think, okay, let's, let's take a new technology and we don't need these 800,000 tables anymore. <laughs> At the same time, uh, uh, these other systems, yeah, so take a look at, at Oracle, take a look at SAP, etc., etc., these systems are not aware of inefficiencies. So you should not throw them away, but you should build a layer on top of them uh, to continuously look for these inefficiencies and how you can improve them. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, this is a fascinating world where we are also heading as a process, mining as a discipline. And I would love to end our discussion on a light note. And uh, I, I, I noticed recently that you wrote uh, an article on Salonis blog where you were basically uh, calling out people uh, why they should learn process mining and why is it a top skill to learn in 2022. And since I know a lot of our listeners are also uh, people who are still at universities and deciding about their future careers, I would love if you could just use this opportunity and why, uh, you know, Tell them why this is a top skill to learn and why they should actually care about process mining. Yeah, so I think everybody can see that uh, that data is becoming more and more important simply because it's available, right? So many young people are very excited to learn things uh, related to data science and machine learning. Uh, at the same time, if you're looking for a job, you should try to think, okay, what are the skills that are really needed in the long term? 
right? I think many of the stuff that is happening in the field of, uh, of machine learning will be completely automated, right? It will be like mm-hmm. a black box. Mm-hmm. You put data in, something comes out, and, and you don't need to have a lot of expertise to, to do that. What will really be challenging, where you really need to combine technical skills with domain knowledge, is process improvement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you, you cannot say, okay, here I have a car factory, uh, I'll train a neural network, and then it's all okay. <laughs> it, it, it's not going to work like that. So I think there are many jobs in the future that will become much more analytical, data-driven. And uh, I think the interesting problems always are dynamic, right? If you think, so think about healthcare, these processes are very dynamic. But also think of an auditor, right? An auditor in the past could get away by taking a sample, talking to some people, and it would be okay. The future of auditing will be that you analyze everything that has happened and you check whether it's okay or not. Hmm. So many jobs will uh, require this combination of being uh, data literate, uh, that you can deal with data, and at the same time, uh, process-centric. The, the the problems that uh, that do not require processes that are let's say basic static decisions, mm-hmm. I think many of them will be automated, but the process is not. So in translation, everybody who listens, let's learn data science, process mining, and let's uh, come be- build better process world. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> Let's hope that we can uh, help on this front. Uh, Will, last question. Where can people follow your work and you know read up on everything that you are helping create and where can find out about more what you're doing right now? Yeah, so if, you, if you're new to the topic, I think that is a very easy uh, way to get started. And that is uh, the website processmining.org. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to processmining.org, that's a very nice Uh, easy website that links to many other websites and, and material that, that uh, one can do to get into the topic. And so that's for people that uh, that get started. For people that uh, would like to dive deeper into the research thing, just go to my website, just type Bill van der Aals and you will find <laughs> it. Uh, that, 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 that's very easy to find. Uh, I try to collect most of my papers on the website mm-hmm. so, so that people can, can, can use it. If you want to become uh, active, uh, uh, please take a look at uh, the website of the task force mm-hmm. on process mining. If you look at the, uh, we are organizing all kinds of events uh, to spread the knowledge of process mining. Uh, there is the, uh, the great uh, ICPM mm-hmm. conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were in Eindhoven, uh, you mentioned last year. Uh, this year, it will be on the most beautiful place in the world. That's uh, called Bolzano. Can't wait. Uh, so that's in the <laughs> uh, in Zutirol, in the Italian Alps. It's really beautiful. Uh, so that's a nice place where you can meet people and you can use the infrastructure of the IEEE Task Force on process mining. And then, of course, there are the courses. You hinted earlier at the new Salonis course. Uh, that's a very compact course. Uh-huh. Uh, that is taking, let's say, all, to, all together like, like 10 hours or so. That's a relatively compact course in one day. If you would, I would not <laughs> recommend to do it in one day, but, but if you would do it in one day, then in one day you know the basics of, of process mining. But there are also, let's say, more extensive courses, also based on my process mining book, 
So there is the 2060 Corsera course, mm-hmm. which is much more elaborate. Uh, what I find very interesting also, if you take a look at my book and, and that course, is that uh, the theory did not change. Nice. The tools changed, but the concepts and ideas and the problems did not change. And I, I think that's a good sign because it shows that it is not a hype, but uh, mm-hmm. like a stable problem where we get uh, better at it each year. Lovely. Uh, well, I would like to thank you again for uh, very much for, for accepting and for being here with us and talking about where process mining is, what kind of issues we are solving and where we are going in the future. So once again, thank you very much. It was very, uh, I was very happy to be here. Thank you. For you, dear listeners, uh, we are happy to have you as well. Uh, please write us, leave us a review, leave us a comment if you have any questions. You can write us either directly on LinkedIn, where we are very active, or you can just write down an email uh, to miningyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. We are here to help you. So if you have any questions regarding process mining, please just let us know. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and see you in two weeks with next episode of Mining Your Business Podcast. Bye-bye.